Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here, if you happen to be visiting or new um, this morning. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. So Lent has six Sundays in it. Next week will be the last Sunday of Lent. Today's the fifth Sunday. Uh, and today I want to uh, read you a story from the Old Testament, and it's a story that will be familiar to some of you, because this is literally the fifth week in a row that we have read this story. So some of you should have this memorized by now, right? But um, we're going to read it again today, and I'm going to point out a few new things, and we're actually going to look at it from a very different angle. So uh, let's jump back in. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, which is this one Hebrew word, Hinnani. And I'll come back to that and explain it in a little bit. Here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So uh, if this is the first time you're hearing this story, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it in a while, um, this sounds horrible, right? Why would God ask Abraham to do such a thing? And we really dug into that question last Sunday. And we said there's some really important context that we all have to be aware of, that we have to understand uh, what sacrifice was like in the ancient world. And we don't often understand that because we don't do that in our world. We have to understand this, this long relationship that, that God had with Abraham, that that plays into this. God doesn't just ask some random stranger on the street to do something like this. And that also uh, there's something bigger that God is up to in, in history and in Abraham's life. And so Um, As difficult as it is, what God is asking of Abraham, you have to understand all of that background and context. And so if you weren't here, you can go back and and listen to that message, and that might help you. Um, But here's how the story continues. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Goes on, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Now, let's pause there for a second. A couple things to just note. Uh, There's a word used to describe Isaac in this passage. It's the word boy. And oftentimes when we hear that word, we think like a little boy. But in Hebrew, it could mean anywhere from someone really little to a young man. And in fact, most people, uh, most scholars, when they read this passage, they think that this is, uh, Isaac would have been much older. In fact, Jewish tradition says Isaac is in his 20s or 30s by this point. Um, now, he's certainly at least a teenager. Uh, we know that from some of the context, what happens before this story and after this story. And he's probably an older teenager, at least. Uh, he's able to walk this long journey with his father for several days. He clearly understands the process of sacrifice. Um, he carries the wood. And so uh, keep that in mind. Isaac is, you know, maybe 16, 18, 20 years old. And then when Isaac calls out to his dad here, he says, Father, 
Abraham replies with the same word, Henani. Yes, yes, son, here I am. What do you need? What can I do for you? That's what this means. The story continues. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, do you notice something interesting in the way that Abraham answers this question? You you might not have noticed, but in Hebrew, there's actually no punctuation. And so this answer is a bit ambiguous. It could go a couple of different ways. In fact, I want to show you uh, just a cartoon to sort of show what's happening here. It says, uh, here's the wood for the sacrifice, Dad. Groovy. Here's the dagger for the sacrifice, Dad. Keen. Right? Then Abraham's like showing the knife is really sharp. And Isaac's going, what's going on? And then Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? God will provide, Isaac. Wait. Did you say God will provide, comma, Isaac? Or God will provide Isaac. Come here, son. I ain't budget until you put in a comma, right? So, um, a funny cartoon of a tragic story, right? Uh, but it highlights, we don't really know. This could actually go either way. Is he saying, God will provide a sacrifice, which is my son, Or God will provide, my son. We don't know. The story continues. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, and the word for angel here just means messenger, Um, it's not necessarily somebody dressed in a white robe with feathers and wings and all those kind of things. It's, It's just a messenger from God, an envoy of the Lord, called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And now we see that this messenger is actually God himself. And the test is over because now God knows that Abraham trusts him. Now God knows Abraham was willing to give up his only son, even when it didn't make sense, even when he didn't understand why God would be asking this of him. And so we could say this is really a story about faith. It's a story about whether Abraham trusts God. But there's another word that I think is equally important in this story. It's a word that really shapes this whole test. It's a word that's at the heart of what God is looking for. And it's actually a word that most of us are uncomfortable with. It's the word obedience. Abraham obeys God. Abraham doesn't just 
believe what God says. He doesn't just think about what God says. He doesn't just hope in what God says. He actually does what God asks him to do. Now, now I said we're sometimes uncomfortable with this idea of obedience, right? We're uncomfortable because if you are a kid or a teenager, or if you remember what it was like to be a kid or a teenager, right? You remember that sometimes your parents asked you to do things you didn't really want to do, and your response was like, why do I have to clean up my room, right? Why do I have to take a shower this week, right? Or why, why do I have to do my homework, And perhaps you remember in some moments your parents would get tired and they would get annoyed with all of your complaining, right? And they were frustrated with you and maybe they didn't even have a great answer for whatever you were asking. And they said, just do it, right? Because I said so, yes. All the parents are nodding. I said so, right? Just obey me. And of course, whenever parents say that, It does nothing to generate any feelings of obedience from the kids. And we read this story, and it feels a bit like that. God is asking Abraham to do something that is way more unreasonable than cleaning your room, right? And Abraham is just expected to obey because God said so. Now, We're also uncomfortable with this idea of obedience because we've seen so much abuse of it, right? We've seen people in power and authority require or demand blind obedience, and we've seen the devastation that that can cause. And so obedience gets a a bad rap, and for good reason, right? It should whenever it's abused. Whenever it's disconnected from relationship, whenever it's severed from from trust and love. And that's why abuse of obedience is so different than when a mom or a dad sees their kid running out into the road to chase the basketball and they see the car coming that the kid doesn't see and they say, don't go into the road. And they expect obedience in that moment. And they don't have time to explain what's going on. They don't have time to make sure the kid understands. They don't have time to say that I can see the car and you don't see the car. And it's in moments like that that we see how important genuine obedience really is. And that gets to the heart of the first thing that I want to show you from this story that we're going to talk about today about obedience. Obedience is grounded in trust and love. Obedience is grounded in trust and love. When when someone asks for obedience, they're only asking from a place of trust and love, right? And you're only going to respond if you trust them and you know that they love you and they want what's best for you. That's why all abusive forms of obedience are so wrong and, and harmful and traumatic without trust and love. It's not obedience. It's abuse of power. And so uh, trust and love are the foundations of obedience. God would never ask this of Abraham if he didn't love Abraham and if he didn't want what's best for Abraham and if he didn't think that Abraham could actually trust him. In fact, New Testament writers pick up on this. They think about this story deeply, and I want to read you a couple of verses. The writer of Hebrews says this. 
By faith, Abraham, when, he, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. See, it didn't really make sense what God is asking of Abraham, because in Abraham's mind, he's going, this son is what you promised to me, God. You gave this son. This is a fulfillment of the promise. So, so it doesn't make sense at all, and yet Abraham obeys because he has faith, because he trusts in God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. See, for James, uh, faith is central. Abraham trusted in God. And so Abraham obeyed God because he trusted in God. But his his trust and his obedience, they they were working together. In fact, James basically says you can't have one without the other. Trust without obedience, it's not really trust. And the flip is true, right? Obedience without trust, it's not really obedience. Because obedience is always grounded in trust and love. And God doesn't ask Abraham, and he'll never ask us, to obey him in any way apart from trust and love. Here's a second important thing about obedience. Obedience starts with a here I am posture. It's no coincidence that Abraham is addressed three times in this passage and every single time he answers in the exact same way. God calls out to him and he says, here I am. His son Isaac says, father, and he says, here I am. And then the the messenger calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. Am. Now, whatever other issues we have with Abraham in this story, and we've teased some of those out, right? Why doesn't Abraham question God? Why doesn't Abraham ever doubt that this is God's voice? Why doesn't Abraham wrestle with this? Why doesn't Abraham contend with God about what he's supposed to be doing? Why doesn't Abraham at least grieve over what he's supposed to be doing? I'm not so sure Abraham is the perfect model of faith in this story. And whoever wrote this story first down is inviting us to wrestle with all those questions. It's almost like we are not getting any insight into what Abraham is feeling and thinking. We're only told what he does. And that invites all of us to begin to say, what is he thinking? What must he have been feeling? And we bring in all of our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own reflections and our own questions and our own doubts. We're invited to do that in this passage. And yet at the same time, Whoever wrote down this story wanted to make sure that we saw above everything else that Abraham has this one posture, this here I am posture, right? And a here I am posture, it's a listening posture. It's a receiving posture. It's a open-handed posture. It's this posture of 
I'm willing to do whatever you ask me, God, before you even ask me. Posture. And obedience always starts with this open-handed posture. And by the way, it's not just Abraham who has this posture. Isaac has it as well. He goes willingly with his father. They're portrayed as walking together on this difficult journey. At some point, Isaac has to realize what's going on, right? There is no lamb to sacrifice. And when Abraham begins to to build the altar and then tie up Isaac, bind him up, there is no struggle. There is no fight. And there could have been, right? Isaac could have overpowered his old man at this point. He was probably trying, he carried all the wood, right? He easily could have refused to go along with what was happening, but he doesn't. The story portrays a father who is willing to sacrifice his only son and a son who is willing to give his life. Here's the third thing about obedience. Obedience will often involve a kind of death. And I don't necessarily mean the the physical death that this story so graphically portrays. I mean the, the deaths that we are all called to experience every single day whenever we obey right? Obedience always involves dying to ourselves, dying to our independence. When we obey laws, when we obey our parents, when we obey God, a God who says, I want what's best for you, and I want what's best for the world, and I have a much bigger perspective of your life and this world than you will ever have, right? And so from time to time, I'm going to ask you to do things that you're not going to want to do. From time to time, I'm going to ask you to do things that you do not fully understand, right? I'm going to ask you to do things with your time, with your talents that I gave you, with your relationships, with the situations I placed you in, with the resources I've given you. I'm going to ask you to do things with your body, with your future, with your plans, right? And sometimes you'll understand exactly what I'm asking and you'll be excited to obey. And you might even see the fruits of your obedience quickly. But there's going to be other times where obedience will feel like sacrifice. It will feel like you're having to relinquish something. Give something up, maybe something that you love. It will feel like you're experiencing a kind of death. And that's why obedience is so hard. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus is with us in that. In fact, he loves you and I so much. And when the father looked down at this world and he saw a world that was bent on its own self-destruction, he saw a world that did not know his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And he said, we need to go show them. We need to go tell them about our love and our grace and our mercy and our forgiveness. Son, would you go do that? Jesus knew that in order to do that, it would cost his life. 
And he basically says, here I am. I'll go. I'll do that. And the Apostle Paul says that when Jesus came down to serve you and me and to give his life for you and me, he did it to be obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Obedience will always be hard for us. It will involve something that feels like death to us, but Jesus is with us in that. One more thing. Obedience reveals an awe of God. Remember what God says at the very end when he calls out to Abraham. He says, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, I don't love the word uh, fear here. It's an English translation of a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is, is powerful and it's rich and it's positive, and that's why I don't love fear because the way we use fear in our culture and context is almost always negative. So sometimes it's translated revere. Now I know that you revere God, and that's a little bit better, but um, revere feels soft to me. Revere feels like respect, and that's, that's part of it. Now I know that you respect God, but it's not as active, and it doesn't really evoke the power of what God is saying. The word literally means to live in awe of God. Now I know that you live in awe of me. To recognize how big and how powerful and how transcendent and how infinite and how sometimes even mysterious God is. And to recognize that I serve a uh, God who is that way and this God actually loves me. And so I'm not ever going to fully comprehend what he's up to in my life or what he's even asking me because he has a bigger perspective than I do. He sees the cars coming down the street before I can ever see them. And so to obey him is not just to trust in him, it's to live into this reality of who he actually is and to live in awe of that. And that's why God says, now I know. Your obedience has revealed to me that you live in awe of who I am. Now, there is one more crucial perspective to this whole story and we need to talk about and we'll do that next Sunday when we wrap up this series and I hope you'll be here for that, that because the story isn't really complete without it. But today, I just want to wrap up by asking you, in what ways do you need to obey God in your life? And it's possible there's something big going on. It's possible that you are at a crossroads. It's possible that there's, there's something that you've been wrestling with. It's possible that, that there's a sacrifice you feel like you're being called to make and you don't want to make it and you're just wrestling with what to do about it. For many of us, maybe there's not something big hanging in the balance. Maybe there's just something small, Right? Maybe there's just some way that we need to start living that we just don't want to. Maybe there's somebody we need to forgive that we don't want to. 
Maybe there's a conversation we need to have, something we need to start doing or something we need to stop doing. God wouldn't ask you to obey him in this way if he didn't love you and if you couldn't trust him and if it wasn't important. He might be protecting you from the car that you don't see. And so what would it look like to trust him, to obey him, and to live in awe of him? Let me pray for us. God, I ask you now to help each one of us see you as you really are. As someone who sees us and our world in ways that we don't. And as someone who deeply loves all of us. You call us your children. And that you sent your son for us. And that we can trust you. And so whatever courage we need, whatever motivation we need to obey you in whatever you're calling us to do, I pray that you would give that to us. I pray this in your name. Amen.